And then from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to Him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, He is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own peoples, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God who called you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of life. Thanks be to God. So on these Sundays after Easter, we're reading through these letters, or what I'm suggesting are these early conspirators, those who are willing to spread the news of the resurrection. I'm calling this whole series of sermons, Joining the Resurrection Conspiracy, not using conspiracy in the manner of a hoax or that we're being misled, but rather from the Latin root word, with breath, conspire, that is those breathing together, or those working together, those who are willing to give their effort, their breath, their energy to spread this good news that God's love can even conquer death, that God's love, in fact, raised Jesus from the grave. I'm asking, are we ready to be a part of this resurrection conspiracy? Are we ready to live our lives as faithful and devoted and bold followers of Jesus Christ? I would suggest to you that First Peter is one of those early conspirators, if you will. He wanted to share this good news that he had experienced in his life and that he's written about in this letter for us. He lived in a culture and in a society in some ways foreign to ours and yet in other ways not that different at all. Certainly the human authorities of his day were not friendly to Christianity They did not embrace all the same values. They did not accept the news of the resurrection, believe that this is good news, that God has come to us and revealed self through the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's writing in an unfriendly or hostile environment, and yet writing nonetheless, raising his voice being one of those early conspirators to share this good news of the power and the love of God is at work in the world. And because he and others shared and spoke and lived their lives in such a way that this message was proclaimed, surely it did spread across the Mediterranean world and finally around the globe. But you can sense the tension in the 
place where he's writing because as he's writing he talks about inviting people to come to christ but then says he was rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in god's sight so christ is being rejected in his day in the day of first peter and in many quarters of our culture and society the same is true many of the values we embrace our larger culture does not embrace it is so important that we stay clear in our thinking about what is valuable because we live in a society where there's lots of options lots of people proclaiming different ways of living and we have a distinctive and a particular witness to which our lives should speak we are part of the resurrection conspiracy if we're ones who live a life believing that God is with us in life and death and life beyond death, that we can count on God to be with us through any and all circumstances. One of our former bishops told the story of an Indian tribe who lived beside a swift and dangerous river. The current was so strong that to get too far into the river could mean you would be swept away and swept to your death. They were respectful of the river. They were careful how they used this life resource. But one day, another tribe attacked them, and they began to lose the battle. They were outnumbered. They were in trouble. They could see that this battle was not going to go their way, and they began to try to figure out, what are we going to do? How do we escape? How do we survive this? Finally, they concluded the only way was to cross the river. And yet they knew the oldest among them, the youngest among them, the ill, the weak, the wounded would not be able to cross the river without being swept away they finally decided on a plan they finally decided that some of the stronger members could pick up the children could pick up some of the elderly could perhaps take on a wounded or ill person and try to ferry them across this rapidly moving stream so they began to do that and they were surprised you might even say astonished because what they found is when the stronger member put others on their shoulders and stepped into that water, the extra weight helped secure them and helped steady them so that they could walk across the stream and cross the river to the other side. Oh, the most prudent thing, the most reasonable thing may have been to leave those who were weak, to leave those who were ill or too small or too old. But because the tribe valued all of their members and all of their relationships, they decided either we'll all go or none of us will make it. But because of that, they were able to turn sure disaster into redemption as they all were able to cross the river and survive. Valuing everyone in the community is part of the value that we proclaim as Christians, that each and every one of us is valuable, as Paul says in his letters in other places, that we're all given gifts for the common good, that we're all a part of the community. And so if one of the weaker members is in trouble or suffering, we suffer with them. If someone's rejoicing and celebrate, then we celebrate with them, but we recognize all the members of the community as valuable. It is the way of Christ. We not only tolerate things that 
society rejects, but we find the truth that at times those very things are the things that save us. In our text this morning, the author uses the images of a stone that's been rejected from a building project, a stone that the builders rejected. And yet the author says, but that stone is something God claims and God can use and not only use, but ends up making it the cornerstone, the very head of the corner with which all other stones will be aligned before the building can go up. Jesus is not just okay. We can give give it or take it. But Christ is our cornerstone. Christ is to be our pillar. Christ is to be the one to whom our lives become aligned in terms of our choices and our behaviors and our beliefs as we go forward. So if you're feeling like you have failed, you've been abandoned or rejected or betrayed, let me invite you to reflect again on this story of Christ. Oh, we stand on this side of Easter, on this side of the resurrection, where we celebrate the triumph of God's love and proclaim that Christ is alive. And yet, if you were here during Holy Week or during the season of Lent, we were reading those passages telling us about the dark side of life, this lonely path that Christ was treading, where ones whom he had trusted abandoned him. One of them betrayed him. He was denied. Where the authorities of the day not only arrested him and tortured and crucified him, but cast him aside as if he had no value and no merit, as if he were someone with no worthiness at all, like a stone rejected. But this author says, oh no, that's not the way God sees it. That's not the way God sees you and me. God sees so much more. First Peter puts it this way, to you who believe Christ is precious, but for those who do not believe, it is a stone that makes them stumble. This author wants us to see that God sees the world differently than we see it. That God sees you maybe even differently than you see yourself. That God sees the value. God sees the worth even when you're feeling rejected, when you're feeling marginalized or down and out. This author says, oh no, not in God's eyes. You are valuable. You are loved. You are precious just as was Christ. You are God's own child. This author chooses some other images from the Hebrew Scriptures. We could spend all day talking about the history and the theology of these images, but for our purposes this morning, let it suffice to say that he's choosing images that help us know that we are valuable and that we are chosen. Let me read to you those images he uses. It's in verse 9 at the very beginning of that verse. He writes, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. He wants us to hear this good news, that God sees us as precious and quite valuable. 
not only individuals, but the whole community, that each and every one of us is included in that proclamation. You can see that in the images the author chooses. They're all collective images. Even though it says you, it's used in the plural. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people. All of us are included. And he says, hear this good news that God has chosen us and sees us as a people set apart for a special purpose. And he tells us what that purpose is in the last half of the ninth verse. After he describes who we are in God's eyes, he says that is in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God who called you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. As Christians, we say we come to a holy place, and holy has to do with set apart. We are set apart as Christians to proclaim the mighty acts of God in Christ. We're the ones called to shine the light bright into what otherwise can be a very dark world we are the ones if we're a part of this resurrection conspiracy who are to proclaim the unconquerable love of god alive in the world i begin to think about all the ways that we here in the boston avenue church community are able to shine bright the light i shared with you a few weeks ago that there were a group within our congregation working with some other churches to fill this gap of dental care that's so acute, particularly in the northern part of our city. We've now incorporated that group as Smiles of Faith, and they're working to have a dental clinic working five days a week before the end of this year. They'll be shining the light bright, but not only doing the dental care, but we'll be doing this in churches, so there will always be that faith component People who come will have an opportunity not only to have their physical needs met, but their spiritual needs as well, as we'll be able to pray with them and for them, connect them with the church home if they so desire. I think we'll be shining the light bright to all those people who will come. I think of our family promise ministry. I've mentioned it to you before. We just began last year with a dozen or so other churches in the Tulsa metro area. We're using a model that's been used in other places that looks for families who are on the edge of falling into the poverty cycle or on the edge of disintegrating as intact families, providing them with a place to live providing them with job training and coaching, making sure the kids are in school, making sure they have all they need to find gainful employment and sticking with them until they do. The families we hosted last year, every one of them successfully moved from that kind of support into self-sufficiency with education and jobs and families intact. I think we're shining the light bright. We're proclaiming the mighty acts of God alive in the world to those families in such a concrete way. But I think even closer to home here in our own church, the way that we have Christian education for all of our youngsters, 
So they're learning the great themes of the Bible as they're growing up. They hear the mighty acts of God being proclaimed week in and week out in their Sunday school classes. They're learning to sing praises to that God through our many choirs and our opportunities through our music programs. I think about our youth, many of whom are sitting in the choir loft in the first service and all the opportunities they have to be nurtured in faith by coming here, but only nurtured and cared about here but opportunities for them to go forth and serve others, to proclaim the light, to proclaim the mighty acts of God that they have experienced in their own lives. I think about all the opportunities we have for adults of Sunday school, Bible study, prayer groups, spiritual growth groups, spiritual retreats, so many different opportunities to serve through choir or the scouting program or different mission projects. Opportunities for each and every one of us to grow but not only grow for our own good, but that God might shine the light through us in what otherwise so often for people who don't know Christ live in such a dark world. Now, none of us can do all of this individually, but together, oh, together we can do so much. We can proclaim the mighty acts of God in such a wide array of settings and circumstances that others might come to know that this God is alive and at work in their lives. As I was thinking about all this, I started thinking about my own background, my own history. I thought about <clears throat> my own church home, <clears throat> First United Methodist Church down in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. If we had time, I could rattle off the names of dozens of people who were faithful in my life, who were Sunday school teachers and Bible school leaders, who were youth sponsors and youth Sunday school teachers who went on out-of-town trips and went to Camp Egan with us so that we had an opportunity to come to know of God's love alive in our lives. But I, I come to this point. Because they proclaim the mighty acts of God in their everyday lives so that I might discern a call into ministry in my life. Their lives certainly were shining God's light brightly into my life so that I could come to know and understand and comprehend the love of God that was offered to me. They were the people who were faithful day in and day out in the way they lived their lives so that others might come to know of this great love of God. Those images that this author uses of people who are chosen, who are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. It was the people in that church that were those people to me. They are the ones that made an impact on my life. God worked through so many of them to bring me to a place of deeper faith. It's like I said to our confirmation class that were here last week. I suggested to them that this story of God's love being the greatest force in the universe, this love of God that's so powerful can raise Christ from the dead, that should be the story that becomes the defining story of their lives. And that is the story that should become the defining story of our lives. 
No matter where God is calling us, we should be those who are ready to proclaim the mighty acts of God, this unconquerable love of God alive in our lives. We should be the ones ready to share it with others. To be part of such a work is a holy calling. It's God's work in the world. And the preciousness of it all is that God invites us to be a part of this magnificent work in the world. We can be a part of it right here and right now. We can be a part of joining the resurrection conspiracy. And to those of you who are watching via television in Bartlesville or Grand Lake or in Oak Mulgee or Muskogee or Eufaula or Pryor, or wherever you might be watching from, how about in your place? Or those of you watching Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas, how about being part of the resurrection conspiracy and share the love of God alive in your life? right there wherever you are in your hometown. Oh, God is calling us. It's a holy calling. God is inviting us. The only question is, will we respond? Will we step forward? Will we let God's love propel us into the future? Will others get to know that God's love is alive because of how we live? I pray that it might be so for each and every one of us. Amen.